contact with anyone, please feel free to contact us as well. We are available. And uh, let's just pray, then we open up God's Word. Father, we thank you so much that we can sing praises to you this morning because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus, you are worth praising. And uh, we're just thinking of the, all those songs written um, by those who saw Jesus for who he was and who made much of Jesus. And we get to sing those words and uh, get to praise you. Uh, we pray, again, as your Word is opened up this morning, that... Um, your word is precious. Your word is uh, glorious. And we pray that Christ may be exalted, that your children may be encouraged. And, but those who do not know Jesus and those who have not yet trusted him as Savior, that they would, that they would do so this morning, that the word, the powerful word, would break those stony hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm always surprised when I meet the biggest Springbok rugby supporters. And all they want to do is talk rugby. But if you ask them if they've watched the weekend's game, the answer is always no. They don't even watch rugby. They don't even make time to watch the highlights. They don't even read about, uh, you know, the game that happened on Saturday. They don't spend money on a Springbok jersey or a Springbok shirt or a scarf or even a hat. They don't even buy those Brudevors that I think it's checkers that, that makes it, you know, with the Springbok logo on it. But they love to talk rugby. They love to talk about the Springboks like they are the greatest Springbok supporters. But you see, man often betrays with his deeds what he professes with his mouth. Now, if you are one of those true Springbok rugby supporters, okay, it's not the end of the world. It's not that bad. Uh, I'm probably that kind of cricket supporter or that Formula One supporter. You know, I can talk about it like I, I support it, but I've got no clue what's happening. And the consequences of saying that you are a Springbok rugby supporter, saying it, but not really living like one is not that serious. But the same cannot be said when it comes to saying that you have faith, professing to have faith, but then your actions do not prove it. You see, we can't say, we can't profess that we have faith, but then our lives, our works do not show evidence of genuine faith. You can turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2, reading from verse 14. James chapter 2, reading from verse 14. James 2, from verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works 
and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scriptures was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, when it comes to genuine faith, James gives us a warning. And, and the first point that I want us to look at is that genuine faith is more than just lip service. Genuine faith is more than just lip service. Genuine faith will be accompanied by works. I remember, if you think of the book of James, I remember that the book of James is a book about faith in action. It is about knowing the word and then also doing the word. It's a, book, it's a book about gaining wisdom and then living wisely. As someone has said, the book of James is the New Testament Proverbs. It's about faith and actions. Another pastor said this. He said, uh, the book of James is like, like riding a bicycle. Have you tried riding a bicycle with just one pedal? Difficult to do, right? Well, you need two pedals. And in the same way, the book of James is like that. It's like a bicycle with two pedals, faith and actions, faith and actions, and the two go together. You need both. You see, James had already said in James 1 verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So James had already spoken about works, about doing, about living, about action. So it's not new in James chapter 2. So, so he said, don't just hear the word, do it, act. And in our passage here, he says, don't just say, don't just profess to have faith, but let that faith be worked out. You see, James has a problem with those who say, those who profess, those who speculate to have faith, but there's no works. There's no life change. It's only words. James is saying that kind of faith that you profess to have, it's dead. It is rotten. It stinks. Because, you see, where you see justification, you will see what follows. Sanctification. If you've been made right with God, if there's been justification, there will be right living, sanctification. Good works will flow from, from that. Now, a question to ask is, well, why would James need to pastorally address the matter of works? 
Why would James need to pastorally address the matter of works? Well, we must remember that James is writing to, to the 12 tribes that were dispersed because of persecution. And they were mainly a, a Jewish audience. They were Christian Jews that he was writing to. And being Jews, they would come, think of, think of the background that they would come from. They would come from a law-abiding, mostly self-righteous background. And now with their newfound faith in Jesus Christ, they, that might cause them to believe that all you need is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved, and then you in, and that's it. And now they might argue, now that you're saved by grace through faith, that's it. Now there is no need for good works in the Christian life. But that's not true. That's not true. So that's why James needs to address this. You see, we can also fall into the, the trap that these believers had fallen into. One can very easily believe that there are no demands on the Christian life now that we are in by grace through faith. We're in, we're saved by grace through faith. There's no demands on the Christian life. It's simply not true. And you see, James comes with a warning to them and also with a warning to us saying, no, if you have genuine faith, there will be works. You see, if your faith is genuine, it can be examined. Genuine faith can be tested. Genuine faith will be lively. It is, it is active. Genuine faith functions. It is lived out. Now, um, I can remember when my, when my first son, or when my first child was born, Levi, uh, when our first son was born, and the parents can relate to this. But I remember when my, when my son was born, and, you know, we, we brought him back from the hospital, okay? And so we bring him back from, from the hospital, and we have this little baby, Okay, and as a parent, why, what do you think? You just think, I need to keep this precious little thing alive, <laughs> okay? And they're so precious, and, and all you're thinking is, Lord, please just help me keep this thing, <laughs> this little baby alive. And, and you know what happens? They cry, and you think, oh my goodness, they're going to die. <laughs> Something's wrong, because they're crying. And then what also happens is as soon as they are dead quiet, what also happens? You think, oh my goodness, they're dying, <laughs> okay? So if they cry, you think, oh my goodness, something is wrong. But when they lie there and they are dead still, you, immediately you're just thinking, oh my goodness, are they okay? <laughs> They're not doing anything. Are, are they alive? And then as a parent, what do you do? You, you, you quickly rush to them and you, you look at them. And then and you, you keep your eye on them and you, you look at them. And as you look at them, suddenly you see those little twitches, you know, as they dream and those eyes twitch and you go, okay, they're fine. They're alive or they burp or they do all these things way more than burping. And, um, but then you go, huh, they're alive. If you keep your eyes on that little baby for long enough, you will see that they are alive. In the same way, if you keep your eye long enough on the person of faith, guess what? You are going to see that they are alive with good works. 
You see, Christianity has always been about faith and works. But you have to get the order right. You have to get the order right. You have to get it in its proper order. It is like assembling a product. Now, who of you men have assembled a product before? Okay? Um, I remember when I just got married, you know, I, I assembled a sleeper couch for my wife. I thought, man, it's easy. You know, let's just take this thing. How, how difficult can it be? It comes with that thingy. And so I grabbed this thing and I just started assembling. And then when I was done, I was like, oh, a couple of screws and bolts and this, this thing. I'm like, what's this thing? And it's standing. I was like, well, well, I probably don't need this. There's probably no need for this thing. And only later on you realize, oh, there was a place for that. It, if, if I put it in the right order, there was a place for that. And in the same way, there's a place for works in our Christian faith. But if it needs to come in the right order, there's a place for works in the right order. God, yes, it's true. And we see it from the scripture. God needs absolutely nothing from you. And you can, can bring absolutely nothing to the table to save yourself. Nothing. Think of that. You can bring no good works. You have no righteousness in yourself to make yourself acceptable to God. You cannot save yourself. You bring nothing to the table so that God would save you. You bring nothing to the table so that, to make yourself attractive so that God would save you. Nothing. It's like someone said, the only thing that you bring to the table is the sin that makes your salvation necessary. But you bring nothing to the table. So Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 says, for by, grace we, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not, not, not a result of work so that no man can boast. You see, you bring nothing to the table when it comes to salvation. Absolutely nothing. One person, T. Brooks, said this, Till men have faith in Jesus Christ, their best of services are but glorious sins. If you don't come to Jesus with nothing but faith, trusting Him, all those other things that you think can save you, are but glorious sins. So, you can do nothing to save yourself. But, what happens when Jesus Christ, by His grace, saves you? Ephesians 2 verse 10. A passage where, you know, we always stop at verse 9. But, Ephesians 2 verse 10 happens. When Jesus Christ saves you, he now graciously works in and through you to accomplish good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, work, good works are done through us, and it's not to impress, to, to, you know, to impress God. It's not like we're doing these things so that God would be impressed by it or, or that God needs it. God needs our good work in some way. No, we are doing these things so that people may see Christ in us because we are His hands and feet. And we are doing the good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so that He gets the glory. 
We do good works, Holy Spirit-empowered works, God-ordained works, God-honoring works. You see, when there's a heart change that takes place in a person, there's a behavior change that will take place. When the root is changed, there will be fruit. Fruit will be clearly seen. And these works that, that God does through us, whether it's big or small, they're not a burden to us. They're a delight that flows from us. It's, it's because of our new relationship with God that we do these good works. It's because of our love for Him that we do good works. Now think about that. Have you seen when, when a guy meets a, a girl and he, you know, there's this deep love that he has for this girl? What happens? Suddenly this guy, you know, he wants to complete his studies because now he wants to get a job so that he can provide and get married. You know? Uh, suddenly this guy changes because of the new love relationship. Suddenly this guy is willing to stick sticky roll-on under his arms. Why? Suddenly he's willing to put cologne on. Why? It's not for the guys. It's for, it's for this lady that he loves. It's for this new love. And in the same way, because of our new love, man, our, our doing changes. The way that we do things change. Now verses 15 to 17 James points out, saying, and James points out that, he points out, that saying that you have faith, but you have no works, is just like seeing a brother or sister in need and saying the words thinking that their needs will be met. I mean, think of how silly that is. Be warmed, be filled. I mean, think of how crazy that is. Or the more spiritual one we do. Sometimes, I'll pray for you, brother. Yeah? But, but James is saying, do you see how silly that is? Or it would almost be like saying, hey, guys, please remember to, to write your, your grocery list and put it in the box. And we'll see how those families get fed through that list. It's silly. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. And in the same way, just like that, that profession of faith and those words of compassion, they both dead. They're useless. They're not genuine. When there are words and there are no actions, we do not mean what we say, what we profess. The only way to see our faith is through our works. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, the, the demons, they have knowledge about God that few of us have. Their theology is on point. You know, they, they've mastered it. Theology 101, they've, they've nailed it. You know, that class is, they've got it. When, when you read the Gospels, the demons are the first to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the true Son of God. Demons. Not the disciples, the demons. They probably know the word better than we do, but they hate it and they twist it. They know it. They have a knowledge of the truth. They have belief, but their works are evil and they hate and they oppose Jesus Christ. You see, we can have all the knowledge about God, but the question is, do you submit your life to Him, to His Lordship, do you see works? 
in your life. If you don't, then that kind of faith that you say that you have is dead. It's a demon-like faith. So genuine faith is more than just lip service. But secondly, genuine faith is seen in Abraham and Rahab. Uh, when you read through this passage, it is a difficult passage. And I'm sure at many Bible studies you've grappled with this before. And you said, well, is this passage teaching justification by faith? Is this passage teaching that we are justified, that we are made right with God through, 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 through good works? Um, is this a contradiction to what Paul is teaching in Romans? And Well, this passage is a challenging passage, but not just for you and me. Uh, this passage was a challenging passage even for Martin Luther, the great reformer Martin Luther. It is said that Martin Luther, because of this passage, didn't even acknowledge the book of James to be in the Bible. Okay, So he would just say, no, this shouldn't even be in the Bible. But why did he respond that way? Remember, Martin Luther went against the Roman Catholic teaching that said that you are saved by, by faith and works. So, so believe and do good works, and that saves you. So Martin Luther responded to that, and, and when he read this, he was like, no, this shouldn't, shouldn't even be in the, in the Bible. So he reacted and he missed the truth that James was teaching in this passage. Martin Luther was wrong <laughs> in interpreting this. And I love what Alistair Begg said. He said, you know, if you, if you, if you read it, Martin Luther was wrong. It, it just shows us that godly men can be fallible. They can be wrong. They can be wrong, and he was wrong. And, and so it means he can be wrong on other things as well, like baptism and all these things. But... Um, so he was wrong. This passage does not teach that you are saved by works. It doesn't teach a works-based salvation, but it does teach you are saved unto works. You are saved for good works. I've mentioned it before, but, but, but works, good works has never been condemned in the Bible. Only those kind of good works that you think can save you and make you right with God. Those works are to be condemned by us and the Scriptures. Now, if we are honest, if we, if we look at James 2, and if you look at what, what Paul is teaching in, in, in Romans, Romans 3 and 4 and even Galatians, it almost looks like there's a contradiction. But can they contradict each other? No. Scriptures can't contradict, contradict each other. And it's like someone said, normally if you come to a passage that you struggle to un understand, no it's, not the God, no, it's not the word that needs to change, but you, your thinking needs to change, not the, not the word. It looks like James is saying that we are justified by works, and Paul is saying we're justified by faith. So it looks like there's a contradiction, but it's not. And, and one pastor explained it this way, and it helped me to understand this, stand it this way. And he said, if you, if you look at Paul's writings, Paul in, in Romans speaks about justification by faith, being made right with God by faith. And he's speaking about sinners. He's speaking about unsaved people, saying that salvation is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of your works, and you can't boast. You can't take any credit for it. 
It is a total work of God. That is what Paul is saying. But the focus in Romans, the focus of Paul is on how to get saved. It is on the unsaved. And James, on the other hand, James is addressing who? Not the unsaved, but he's addressing those who are already saved. He's saying to the the saved ones, he's saying to them, your faith should not just be intellectual head knowledge. Your faith should not just be lip service. Now that you have been saved, there should be fruits. You see, there's a difference between what Paul and James is addressing. Speaking about Abram's justification, um, John MacArthur writes this and he says, he comments on this and he says, and, and this, this really helped me if you want to understand this. He says, Abram was justified before God, but he was justified. Oh, so, so Abram, sorry, let me, I butchered that one. Let me just say it again. Okay, So Abram was justified by faith before God. Abram was justified by faith before God, but he was justified by works. Before men. He showed his faith by his works. You see the difference? You see, works are the only way that your faith can be seen by yourself and by others. How do you know that you are saved? Well, do you believe and do you see fruit? How do you know, like Abram, that you can be called a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? How do you know? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 4, He said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Do you obey? Do you, do you see works? Do you obey Jesus Christ and His words? Because then you're a friend of God. John MacArthur also explains it this way, and I, and I love it. It's very clear. He says, James and Paul are are not standing face to face, confronting each other. But they are are standing back to back, fighting two common enemies. Paul opposes works righteous legalism, and James opposes easy believism. You see? So so Paul is is fighting against those who think that they can be saved by their good works and those who are self-righteous thinking that they are good and they can save themselves. And James is is standing against those who say, well, all all I need is to believe. That's it. That's it. I'm in. So... And the reality is those two enemies are still in the church even today. And both these enemies will leave you outside of the family of God. So genuine faith is seen in Abraham, but also genuine faith is seen in Rahab. Well, you know the story about Rahab. In, in Joshua chapter 2, you can go read it, but I'm, I'm going to read some of it. What Joshua does is Joshua sends spies into Jericho to go spy out the land that they would conquer. And Rahab was in Jericho, and Rahab the harlot, she hid the spies, and then she, she, she sent them a different way. And and look at what she says. You see, the, the word about Israel had gotten to, to their enemies. And, and this is what Rahab said when, when, when she, she saw the spies. And this is what she said to them, okay? 
in fear of what's, what's going to happen. She says, she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to the Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. But then listen to these words. Listen to her faith. Listen to what she believed. She says, For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Do you see that she believed that their God was the one true creator God? Do you see her faith? But then, do you know what she did? She acted. She, she hid the spies and she sent them another way. And then later on, she joined the people of God. And she worshipped, she continued to worship God. So with, even with Rahab, you see what? You see faith and you see her works. Now, I just want us to, in closing, I want us to park a little bit on, on Rahab. I want you to think for a moment, think of who Rahab was. Remember who it was who said these words. She was a Canaanite woman. She was a Gentile. She was an idol worshiper. She was one of the enemies of Israel. And she was a prostitute. She was known for her sin. Rahab the prostitute. If you read the Bible, Rahab the prostitute comes up. She was known for her sin. Now imagine you being known for your sin. I mean, imagine that. You know, we're just praying for Pastor Quinton who's going to Apostle Quentin the self-righteous who's going to come and preach the word this morning. Imagine being known for your sin. Can, the, can, can those taking up the offering, so-and-so liar, the liar, the thief, and can you please just take up the offering? Can you imagine that? Being known for your sin. Rahab was known for her sin. But this reminder of who she was, and even right through the scriptures, was not to shame her, but to highlight the grace of God in her life. You see, sometimes we are ashamed to tell people where we come from and what God has graciously done in our lives. Sometimes even in the church, we fear of what other, other people might think when they hear of where we come from. But the reality is we're all in the same boat. You know, we, we all have a long list of things. And we were all in the same boat, and we were all sinners who couldn't save ourselves, and God, by His grace, saved us. So we make much of His grace, not of us. We were all in the same boat, all sinners. Rahab was a harlot. And we see the grace of God seeking her out and saving her in her wickedness and in her lostness. And you know what happens? She believes in the God of Israel, that he was the one true powerful God, and she got saved. And she acted on that belief. She forsook her old people, 
she literally left them for dead and forsook her old ways and she followed God and she was justified by her works. Everyone could see it. You see, same for you. It doesn't matter what you have done in the past. It doesn't matter what sins. Jesus Christ only saves wretched, wicked sinners by His grace through faith. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for our family this Christmas. So I want to say to you this morning, it doesn't matter what you've done. Come as you are. Come as you are. But the good news is, Christ will not leave you as you are. Come as you are, but He will not leave you as you are. God changed the direction of Rahab's life, and He will change yours. Church, I want to ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that God can do this? Not just in your life, but do you believe that He can change the direction of people's lives? Sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, I don't know, that's who they are, they can't change. No, He changes people. We should not be deceived. Our works will reveal if our faith is genuine. If we are new creatures in Christ, we will do new things. I want to ask you, do you see good works in your life? Whether it is giving to the needs of the saints, and there are many good works being done that we don't even get to see within the church, and we need to be careful, and we don't put all everyone's works on a pedestal. We don't, some, some of it happens behind the scenes. And we, but whether it's giving towards the needs in the church or whatever it is, or even whether it's like Abraham and Rahab, where you have given up and are willing to give up that which is most precious to you, which is most costly to you, and follow Jesus with your life. When Abraham was willing to give up his son, his most precious son, Rahab was willing to give up her people, left all of that to follow the one true God. As someone has said, faith without works is dead. But so is the best of our works without faith. So this morning I want to challenge you. Test and examine yourself to see if you are in the faith today. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that this morning that there would be no confusion. That as this passage became very clear to me as I prepared and through the means of help of your Holy Spirit and the help of so many other men that I've lent on, I pray that there would be no confusion that no man can ever be good enough to save himself. No one. If, if we had to die today, if we had to stand before God, no one can say to Jesus Christ, no one can say to God, I need to inherit eternal life. I need to be saved because I, I did. I was good enough. I attended church. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I, I. And as someone said, we can't answer in the first person. We need to answer it, you. You have done. The only reason I will enter eternal life is because of you. You have your work on the cross paid for my sins. It's by your grace alone that I can enter. So God, I pray that we have no confusion, that we are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But, God, that there would be also no confusion to think that we can pretend like we're Christians when we are not. If there's been no change, 
then we need to question, say, have we truly been saved? And then the, what do we do? We go back to the cross. We believe in Jesus. We trust him. Like someone has said as well, we if, we see, if we see a banana, if it looks like a banana, tastes like a banana, we don't have apples. The same way, if we look and smell like unbelievers, let's not deceive ourselves to think that we are believers. So God, I also know that as Christians, we still sin. There are times where we sometimes even commit the sins that we are ashamed of and sins that, that belong to our former life. Even as Christians, we sin. But in those times, God, thank you that your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We don't want to sin, but if we do sin, we, 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 we cling to the cross and we run to the cross and we are reminded that we can confess our sin and there is repentance and there is grace. And your kindness lead us, leads us to repentance again. And we do, don't put any confidence in our flesh, but again we put confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ and what is done for us on our behalf. And that makes us go on and love you even more because of what you've done for us. Thank you for this amazing grace found in Jesus alone. Amen.